Well, good morning, everyone. I uh, hope you're doing well, and I'm so grateful you're here as we continue the series we're doing called Me, Myself, and Why. And what we've been doing is we've been kind of diving into this idea that all of us are different. All of us have different uh, skills and talents and gifting and uh, uh, motivations and even fears. Um, we all have different personalities different temperaments, and perhaps if you've ever done one of those temperament profiles or personality profiles, Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, Strengths Finders, DISC, the color profile. By the way, uh, if you've done one of those, any one of those, why don't you raise your hand just so I can see how many of us have engaged in that. Almost all of us, there's some people that haven't, um, and for you, you're like, what's the big deal about all this stuff? Well, clearly it's a popular thing, um, and clearly it is helpful to, to kind of give us some language, some words to describe describe um, some of the things we feel, some of the things that motivate us, some of the things that we like, some of the things that we don't like, and as we're going to see today, some of the fears and some of the struggles that we struggle with. And what we've said, though, is that uh, sometimes when we get into these things, we get so excited about it, and I'm like, I'm a this, I'm a this, I'm a that color, you're a this, clearly you're a this, and everybody's like, what are you talking about? Um, but when we get so excited, sometimes we're tempted to define ourselves only by those profiles, only by those temperaments. And that could box us in, that could box others in. And so what Christianity does, and it's so cool, and we've looked at this over the last few weeks, what Christianity does is it invites us to celebrate our differences. It invites us to discover ourselves. In fact, it says that, that God originated all the beauty and the, the strength of all these differences, and it invites us to do that, but it goes further. It also invites us, Christianity invites us to define ourselves not just by our color, number, temperament, whatever, our style, but it invites us to, to, to be defined by his love and to be defined by him. That's what we've looked at over the last few weeks. And what I wanna do today is I wanna kinda ask the question, how? How can we be defined by Christ? Last week we spoke about how so often we are the center of our worlds and when everything revolves around us, that kind of leads to areas where, where we struggle, that leads to things where we can't be the healthiest version of ourselves. And we said, if we're able to put Christ in the center, it changes everything. So the question we ask today is, how do we put Christ in the center? And I wanna kind of go and look at it from one angle, because as I've studied these, these personality types and temperaments, I've also discovered that there are certain fears and certain things that all of us struggle with. Some of them are unique to different personality types. And as I studied one of these, it kind of made it really clear what it was that I struggle with, what it was that, that my wife struggles with, and it resonated with us. So today, what I wanna do is I wanna look at one of these personality type indicators. I wanna look at the Enneagram. Let me ask you for another raise of hands. Who has done the Enneagram? A bunch of us as well, okay. So you kind of have an idea what number you might be. You kind of resonate with some of that. And what I wanna do is I wanna look at how when we use it well, it can help us again put words around what motivates us, put words around what defines um, some of our personalities. And, and the one that I've been studying also shows that there are unique fears that come along with what motivates us. And so what I wanna do is I wanna take a little bit of time to describe, for those of you who don't know what the Enneagram is, and again, if you hate these kinds of things, I'm sorry um, that we're talking about it for so long, but there is something really cool that I wanna show you today because Christianity, engages with all of these fears, 
all of these struggles in a beautiful, beautiful way that allows us to, to, to not be driven by our fears, but to be driven by who he is and what he has done for us. So I wanna kinda take a little bit of time, just quickly, and describe how the Enneagram sort of portrays these nine personality um, types. And then what I wanna do is I wanna come back and look at each fear. And the reason I wanna do that is because I'm sure you felt this before. Sometimes when fear is kind of under the surface, Sometimes when we're driven by fear, when something, when we bump into one of our fears, what do we do? We usually react in some way. And what we do sometimes is we wanna protect ourselves, we wanna prove something, we wanna get over this fear somehow, control the fear, defend ourselves, withdraw. In some way, we don't want to bump into this fear. And when we are, you know, when we do that, we begin to be defined more by the fear than by who we are. And so when we bump into a fear and we start to control, we start to uh, defend, we start to withdraw, we start to prove ourselves, we start to protect our reputation, whatever it is we do, we become sort of defined by that fear. And one of the authors that I've been reading on the Enneagram says that the primary reason we begin to be an unhealthy version of ourselves is when we succumb to our basic fears. When we succumb to the insecurity, when we succumb to those things that we're trying to prove, trying to get over, when we succumb to it, then we kind of devolve or disintegrate, as he talks about it, into an unhealthy version of ourselves. And the reason I wanna do this all today and look at this all today is because as I was reading this, I had this moment, I mean, I smiled, I was listening to it on Audible and sometimes reading it other times, and as I was doing that, I was like, hey, wait, that fear, the Bible talks about that fear. <laughs> and I looked at this next one, I'm like, oh my gosh, Christianity has an answer for that fear too. And every single one, as I bumped into it, I was like, oh my gosh, if that person, if I <laughs> could understand who Christ is, what he's really done, what he has promised, what he has offered, then there is a way to navigate these fears. And as I thought about that, I thought, gosh, Without Christ in my life, I've realized that some of these fears I can't overcome. Some of these things I can't go beyond because we live in a world that's just broken. We live in a world where people around me are selfish. We live in a world where I'm selfish. We live in a world where, where there's div division and politics and struggle all around. We live in a broken world where pandemics happen. And so there's these fears all around, but, but there is an offer from Christ, from Christianity that says, hey, if you truly trust me, I can give you what you need to navigate this. So what I wanna do, just quickly tell you the, 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 the nine types of the Enneagram. Maybe you'll recognize yourself, you'll resonate with some of this. Maybe you'll kind of elbow someone next to you going, you're that. Maybe something like that'll happen. Then I'm gonna come back to these fears and we're gonna dive in. So. Here are the nine Enneagram types. Type one is uh, descriptively called the reformer or the perfectionist. These people are ethical, they're dedicated and reliable. The ones are motivated by a desire to live the right way, to improve the world and to avoid fault or blame. Don't raise your hands, but uh, any ones out there, see some smiles. Um, twos are known as the helper. They're warm, caring, and giving. Twos are motivated by a need to be loved and needed. 
uh, and to avoid acknowledging their own needs. I see more fingers pointing. Uh, threes are uh, called the motivator or the performer, the achiever. Um, they're success-oriented, image-conscious, and wired for productivity. Threes are motivated by a need to be, or at least appear to be, successful, and to avoid failure. Fours are known as the individualists. They're the guys who don't want to have a number because they're so special. Um, you do the test, you're like, oh, I'm a number? I thought I was special. Um, they're creative, sensitive, and emotional. Fours are motivated by a need to be understood by others. Come on, this is me. To experience their oversized feelings and to avoid being ordinary. There's that one, to avoid being ordinary. Fives, maybe this is you, or you, you, you recognize this in you, are analytical, they're in the investigator. They're analytical, detached, and private. Fives are motivated by a need to gain knowledge, conserve energy, and to avoid relying on others. <clears throat> Sixes, the loyalist. They're committed and practical. Witty, sixes are worst case scenario thinkers. What could go wrong, I gotta be ready. What could go wrong, I gotta be ready. Uh, they are motivated by a need for security. The enthusiast, they're fun and spontaneous. Uh, this is number seven. They're fun and spontaneous, adventurous. Sevens are motivated by a need to be happy, to plan stimulating experiences and to avoid pain. That's me too, I think. <laughs> I wanna avoid pain as well. But sevens, they're driven by that. No, let me experience fun and exciting and avoid pain. Eights are known as the leader or the challenger. Uh, they're commanding, intense, and confrontational. Eights are motivated by a need to be strong and avoid feeling weak or vulnerable. It's fun as I read this and have this perspective because I see a smile emerge here and there. It's, it's, it's kind of cool. Um, the nines are peacemakers. They're pleasant, laid back, and accommodating. Nines are motivated by a need to keep the peace, to merge with others, and to avoid conflict. Now, I could probably speak for several weeks on each of these and talk about the depths of it, but then... Uh, Eight-ninths of the audience will be super bored, um, and the rest of us will be like, yeah, let's do this thing. But that's just a very, very brief introduction, and it's interesting how we resonate with some of that. Now, the reality is, some of this, all of us have. We all have parts of this, but we kind of lean sometimes into um, one of them that seems to describe me more than others. Um, and, and, and here's what's interesting, as I read this book, and as every book on the Enneagram talks about this, I believe, um, and I've read several resources, but it talks about how there are healthy versions of us, there are sort of average versions of us where we tend to do some unhealthy things and maybe some healthy things, and then there are unhealthy versions of us. And this, this guy, this one specific book I read goes deep into all of this, and he says that one of the primary reasons, he argues, one of the primary reasons we move from health to average to unhealth is when we bump up against our basic fears. And he argues that each of these personality types has a basic fear. And, and I think there's some truth in that. I think there's something in that, but what I've realized is all the fears that come up in, in all of these types, I've experienced at one point or another. Because at different stages, at different places, in different needs, in different times, I've bumped into some of these fears. And so as I describe, what I'm gonna do now is I wanna describe the basic fears of each of these types. And if you're that type, you'll go, yep, that's what I feel. It drives me sometimes. It's what I feel. 
But you may be tempted to look for your number and zone out and text someone and say, this is about this number, I'm not that. You know, you'll be tempted to zone out. What I wanna do is ask you, engage, because what I wanna do is show you how Christianity beautifully engages every single one of these fears. And Christianity does this, it says, these fears that you have, they're real. In a broken world, as broken people, they are real. You'll never be able to overcome them by yourself. That's why I came, Christ says. And he offers us hope and help and strength in the midst of all of these. So go on a journey with me as we look at these different fears that come up and we kind of use the Enneagram and the different types of personalities as a vehicle to get there. So we're gonna start with type one um, because that makes sense. Uh, We're gonna start there. The, The key motivations for a one, for a perfectionist, is as you would guess, they wanna be right. Now we all have that a bit, we wanna be right, but but this motivates a one. They wanna have integrity and balance, to strive for higher and and improve others. They wanna be consistent with their ideals and justify themselves. They wanna be beyond criticism, criticism so as not to be condemned by anyone. So what follows is that their natural fears will probably be of being defective of not being right. I am afraid of not feeling right and doing right, of being seen as wrong. That's a fear that would come with the one. And of being judged for doing wrong. I don't wanna be judged. I want you to know why I did it, how I did it. These fears come up and sometimes these fears drive us and when they drive us, we become unhealthy versions of ourselves. Now, Christianity speaks very clearly into a one's biggest fear, that I'll be wrong, that I won't be right, and that I'll be judged. You know how Christianity speaks into it? It says this in Isaiah 64, verse six, to a one who wants to do everything right. It says this, all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. (laughs) If you're a one, that's scary. Everything I do is tainted by my mess. Romans 3.23 says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Basically, Christianity is saying this, ones, all of you, you can't be right. You're imperfect. There is something in us that's wrong, that doesn't live up to the standard of who a perfect God is. And that messes with us. What it also says, and this is so important, So basically, the basic fear of a one, that we're not right, is true. And that's why Christianity speaks into that. It says this in Colossians 1 verse 22, but now he, Christ, God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. So a one, and I know this, I'm a one, And I'm driven, I wanna do it right, I wanna be right. And this drove me for years and I would live from a place of trying to do it right. And if I don't do it right, then there's fear in me and there's there's struggle in me. And I'm like, oh no, don't blame me, don't push me out. And when I discovered this for real, when I discovered I am not right, I am flawed, I am tainted, I am imperfect. It brought a freedom because I knew I couldn't get there by myself. And when I realized that Christ's death provided a way for me not just to be right, but righteous in God's eyes, and that I would not be condemned, 
by the most righteous being in the universe. It changed everything for me. Here's the deal. And this is what I want us to see. That if we live from striving to, to overcome the fear, striving to be right in a one's case, or, or for all of us in that sense, if we live from that place, we will prove, we will justify, we will defend, we will fight, we will uh, uh, protect our reputation. But if we can live from a place of, man, I can't. I don't have the ability to be right. But live from a place of, he, through his death, has made me right in God's eyes and live from the peace of that, then I can be me without the pressure of trying to do it. It changes everything and it's changed everything for me. So, so there's an answer to the fear of, I gotta be right otherwise. There's a beautiful answer that Christianity offers. The two, let's look at this. And if you're a two, you'll probably resonate with this, but, but I resonate with this. I think all of us will in some ways. The key motivations for a two are they want to be loved. We all want to be loved. A two will express their feelings for others and, and, and their motivation is to be needed and appreciate to get others to respond when they love, when they serve, when they help. So the basic fears of a two are these, of being unwanted and unworthy of love. Uh, of of that, that they want, they fear that what they do for others is not good enough to gain their love. They fear that the people they love will love someone else more. You know how Christianity answers that? <laughs> it comes along and it, and it says this, all of us as humans fall short and nothing we do can be good enough to gain the love and the help from somebody else. It's not good enough. That God's standards are perfect and for me to try and gain his love does not work that we are unworthy of God's love. We really are, if he's perfect and we're not. But it says we're never unwanted. 1 John 4 verse 10 says this so beautifully. It says, this is love. And I love this. Because we think, I gotta love, I gotta do enough to be loved. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. For the things that we fell short in, God loved us anyway. His love started the journey, not my goodness to be loved. And this is so incredible because it describes a real deep, unconditional love. And especially for twos, but for all of us, if I try to earn love and earn love that drives me to do stuff, be stuff, struggle with it, and always wonder if I'm gonna be loved, what if? We could live from a place of you are loved, no matter what. And all that stuff you try to do to earn love, it's not good enough anyway. But I love you unconditionally. What if we could live from that place, from a place where, where we, we live from the place of being loved, not from a place of earning love? Because if we have to earn love, it's a never ending journey. It's like being on one of those hamster wheels. I'm gonna earn, I'm gonna earn. Is it ever gonna be enough? No, because you never get anywhere. But if you live from a place of being loved by the one who knows all your flaws, all your faults, all your problems, all your insufficiencies, all the, the attempts that don't work. If we live from a place of being loved, we'll be able to get off of that little hamster wheel and be. And the good things we do to help others won't have that ulterior motive because I'm doing it from a place of being loved, not from a place of trying to earn love. 
Christianity speaks into that huge fear. The next fear I wanna look at is, is primarily felt by type threes, the motivator or performer or achiever, but I think it's for all of us. The key motivations of a three are these. They wanna feel valuable and worthwhile, to be affirmed, to distinguish themselves. They wanna have attention, be admired, and impress others. And so the, the fears that come along with those motivations in, in us are that I'll be worthless, that I'll be rejected, that I'll fall behind, that I'll be overshadowed, or that I'll lose the positive regard of others. I feel that. I'm not a three by that, but, but we all feel this, that, that the fear is that I won't be liked. And again, you'll see a theme run through all of this that the answer that Christianity gives isn't, don't worry about it, you don't have to worry. The answer that Christianity gives is, no, that's true. In this world of broken people, of selfish people, of, of self-centeredness, of division, of, of trying to impress everyone around us, we're so self-focused that it's hard to do that and to feel secure in that I'm liked. It is hard, that's a fear that we will face. But in Christ, and this is the beauty of what Christianity offers, in Christ, here's what it says, Jeremiah 31 verse three gives this promise. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you, I like you, with an everlasting love that you are valued everlastingly, whether you perform or not. <laughs> you are not worthless to me. It's beautiful and it gives this promise that, that we don't have to be striving to be seen as successful. We don't have to strive to be, to be liked because God looks at you and says, he says this, I like you. I like you. Because of what Christ has done, you impress me. What if we live from a place where we feel liked rather than trying to be liked? It changes everything. That fear doesn't drive us. Another verse I wanna show you in the sense of achieving, achieving, achieving is Hebrews 13, verse 20. And it says this, now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, may that God, verse 21, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. What if in that motivation that we have to please people, to be liked by people, to achieve, what if we live from a place where we knew, truly understood, truly trusted that God was with us and that he has equipped us to be everything we're supposed to be, that we can live from that place and that we chose in our motivation to please him not everyone else. Have you ever tried to please everyone around you? How well has that gone? <laughs> it's impossible. But when we live from the place of, I don't have to please everyone, there's one person. I have an audience of one. I can please him. And this is what it says. He equips you with everything good for doing his will and pleasing him. Man, if we live from that place, then we will be free to live out the talents, the achievements, the success that he's given us with a security and not a, if I don't, if I don't look successful, everything falls apart. It won't work like that. If we live from a place of, I please him. He likes me and he's given me what I need. It changes everything. 
The next fear I wanna look at is the predominant fear that individualists, at least this is what they say, the individualist or the romantic feels. But I think, again, we all feel this. Um, the key motivations is I wanna be myself. I wanna express myself with something beautiful or withdraw to protect my feelings. They're motivated to take care of emotional needs before attending to anything else, and they wanna be understood and not ordinary. So the primary fears that they express that I think all of us feel sometimes is this, that they have no identity or personal significance, that others will not appreciate the significance of my identity and my feelings, and that they are more, this is huge, I think we all feel this sometimes, that they are more inherently flawed than others, that they're missing something that others have. <laughs> and Christianity speaks into that fear so clearly. Again, I wanna come back to a verse we looked at already. Romans 3 verse 23 says this, fours have sinned more and fall short of the glory of God. No, it doesn't say that, just it's, it's up there. <laughs> it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That in God's eyes, when he looks at us, he's going, nobody's worse than anybody else. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what you've thought, fours are sometimes just more emotionally in tune with the mess inside of them. All of us have that. And God's going, nobody's better than, nobody's worse than anyone else, but this is the beauty of what Christianity offers. Even with our flaws, Christianity teaches this, Philippians 1 verse six, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. He who began a good, a good work in you will carry it on. That he sees you, that you are significant to him. Psalm uh, 139 verse 13 says this. Think about this, this is beautiful. This is how God sees us and made us. You were cre you, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. When we live from a place of trying personally and individually and in and of ourselves to be significant, to be the most special, what are we gonna bump into? The reality that we're not. The reality that there's nothing more special than just me. I can't, in a world that's so crazy and big, there's something in me that bumps into the reality of I am flawed. But in Christ, in Christ, he looks at the flaws, he sees every flaw and he says, I love you and you are special to me and I died for you specifically. Specifically and I made you this intentionally. What if we could live from a place of the real special uniqueness that God has made me, that God has made you, then we won't be striving and asking the question, am I enough? Because God looks at you and says, you are. You are. Top five is the investigator. Also brings up a fear that many of us have. It's based on key motivations that they want to be capable and competent to master a body of knowledge and skill, to explore reality, to remain undisturbed and to reduce their need, but they wanna know enough. So the fears are of being helpless or useless or incapable, that their perceptions are insufficient, that what they know, they don't have what they need to know. Christianity answers that question. Again, the theme continues. And it answers like this, that we are insufficient. Every one of us, 
We are insufficient. We don't know everything. And I mean, we live in a world that's so dominated by knowledge and nobody can know it all. We sometimes try to be, we sometimes want to be. When we get so academically inclined, we're like, I do know. But the people who've grown in that realize, I don't know enough. And so these fears, I won't know enough, I won't be prepared, are real because we can't be prepared for everything. But that's why Christianity also teaches this beautiful place that in Christ, when I trust him, when I realize that he has given me what I need, that I can have and be enough. I love this verse, one of my favorites. 2 Peter 1 verse three says this. His, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge, not just our knowledge, but through our knowledge of him. I love how Peter does this when he wrote this. He said, when we know him, because he's God, and if this is true, if he is God, he's given us everything we need for a godly life. By our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. If it's based on my goodness and my ability to know and be and do and have enough, I will fall short and I will fear that every day. Is it enough? Is it enough? Is it enough? <laughs> Christianity says, nope, it's not. You're not enough. But if you trust me, I am enough. And if you live from a place of enough, then the strivings and the fear won't define you, but you can be who you were meant to be. The loyalist, key motivations for a six are these. They want to have security. They want to feel supported and to have the approval of others. We all feel that sometimes. So the fears that are associated with that are this, of being unable to survive on my own, of having no support of losing security, of feeling, uh, or losing the feeling of belonging, of doing anything that'll jeopardize the security systems around them. For the loyalist, for the six, for anyone who fears losing security, which, I mean, this pandemic just kind of blew all that out the water, and a bunch of people lost jobs and career, and all the stuff that was just messed up by this uh, health, eternal security, all that stuff. How do you navigate that? When you desire security, the reality is that Christianity teaches we live in a broken world. There is no way to do enough, be enough, think about worst case scenario enough to be totally secure, except one way. When you've got the God of the universe with you, the God who's bigger than death, the God who's bigger than the worst case scenario when he's with you, there's a security that comes, and that's what Christianity promises. Listen to this beautiful language of support in Romans 8.26, uh, right after discussing the brokenness of this world. It says this, in the same way, the Spirit, God's Spirit, helps us in our weakness. That when we are going, oh no, will I have the support? Christianity promises the most powerful, real, engaged support from God. What if that's true? What if we could live with that, that any rumblings or difficulty around us doesn't have to define us, but that God can? That chapter ends in a beautiful way talking about how he is bigger than it all. And if this is true, this is amazing to navigate the insecurity of life and eternity. It says this, Romans 8:38. for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, 
Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What if we could live from that place? Then the fears of what if, worst case scenario, don't have to define us, but Christ can. Who he is can, and in Christ alone can we find that kind of security. Quickly, the enthusiast number seven, the key motivations is they wanna be happy and satisfied. They wanna enjoy life and escape anxiety. And so the fears are of pain and deprivation. This is a perfect one to show we all feel that. I have a fear of pain. <laughs> we all do. They, they, they're afraid that their freedom and happiness will be lost and their needs will not be met. Again, the answer to this that Christianity gives is that these fears are real. We live in a world where happiness is taken like that, freedom is taken like that sometimes. I mean, COVID showed that we couldn't go to restaurants, we couldn't go to work, we couldn't go to church for a whole long time. Take away my experience. What about a world like that? If, if experience and not missing out is driving us, it will hurt us. And then also we know our own limitations and how we make dumb mistakes that hurt us and take freedom away and hurt the people around us. We do that. What do we do in that situation? Well, the beautiful thing is that Christianity teaches that our ability to find the joy and our ability to not have anything go wrong and avoid pain will never save us, but Christ came and this is what he said in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. For a person seeking you know, to experience it all, if that's true, that the God of the universe wants to give you life and life to the full. What if we live from that? The next verse tells us how committed Christ is to that. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep to bring life. It is powerful. And lastly, for, for, for us, when we wanna avoid anxiety, look at this promise. In, John, uh, in Isaiah 26, verse three, it says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. I mean, we're trusting in our ability to, to find peace in a broken world. We're always gonna bump into stuff that makes us struggle. But if we're living from a place of he is my peace, he is my strength, he is my life, it changes things. Type eight, two more, says this, the, the, the key motivations is they want to be self-reliant there is to resist weakness. We all have that feeling. I don't wanna be weak. They wanna have an impact on the environment and assert themselves to stay in control, to be strong and avoid feeling weak and vulnerable. So obviously the, the, the fears are of being harmed and controlled by others or of becoming weak or vulnerable or fear that they don't have the resources to do what they need to do or that they will lose the respect of those around them. Those are some of the fears. We all have those in some ways. How does Christianity answer that? It says this, as much as eights and people wanna stay in control and not look weak, the reality is we know our hearts. We know our weakness. 
whether it's in a moment, a season, or a failure that happens, we know what's in our hearts. And there is weakness. We try to hide it. We try to show that we're strong. We try to Instagram the good parts. We try to do all that stuff. We try to show strength. But the reality is we know that's there. And Christianity acknowledges that and actually invites it. And so the fears that we have are real. Again, this shows our desperate need for help. And the powerful thing about Christ is he says, hey, I can help. I can help. If you recognize weakness and recognize my ability to help, to save, to give strength, it'll change everything. Uh, Paul, we speak about Paul a lot. Um, I think he was probably an eight, trying to strive for strength. And it's amazing how he talks about his journey with this. In Philippians 3 verse 8, he says this, I consider everything a loss. Everything that I've relied on in the past to look good, to be strong, to not have weaknesses, I consider it a loss because of the surpassing worth of, listen to this, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That he had come to the place where he said, I'm gonna acknowledge my weakness and I'm gonna submit myself to a power greater than me, an authority greater than me. For the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage. I'm not gonna stand in my strength. It's garbage that I may gain Christ. Later, in speaking about his own weaknesses, he says this, 2 Corinthians 12, verse nine, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. I'm gonna acknowledge my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul learned that if I rely on myself, it always ends up going into negative directions. But when I surrender to his power, I am stronger than I ever was. What if we could live in a strength stronger than ours? and not be afraid of weakness, but acknowledge it, we will be a better version of ourselves. And lastly, the peacemaker. These people, and all of us to some degree do this, they, their key motivations are to have serenity and peace of mind, to create harmony in the environment, to preserve things as they are. And so their fears are of loss or separation, their fears are of losing peace of mind both internally and externally, experiencing conflicts. And again, I think it's very clear that in a world driven by politics and divisiveness and self-centeredness, and it's so hard to find peace. And what happens so often is because we want that peace, peacemakers will sometimes withdraw or we will withdraw from that. And that causes difficulty in relationships that causes difficulty in family when we withdraw from that and don't share ourselves, but in order to keep peace, we do that sometimes. But what if we live from a place of peace, not trying to find it no matter what? And that's what Christianity offers because Colossians 1.20 says this, that through him, through Christ, to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The message of Christianity is that Christ brought a peace that goes beyond our ability to create it or find it. He says this, the last scripture we'll look at, Ephesians 2 verse 14. For he himself is our peace 
who has made the two groups, he was talking about Jews and Gentiles, the two groups, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 17 says, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Now, I know I went through a whole bunch of stuff there, a whole bunch of information about motivations and fears. Here's my point today. I want you to go through all of that to show you that in Christ alone is the possibility of finding the hope we need, the strength we need, the peace we need, the love we need, the unconditional uh, connection we need, the, the support we need, the security we need. In this world, as we try to navigate all this, we will bump into pain, we'll bump into those fears, and when we do and we react going, I need a control, I need to earn it, I need to do enough to be loved, to find peace, to be strong, to do all the stuff I need. When we try to do that, it usually ends up with me not being the healthiest version of myself, proving myself, justifying myself, trying to do what I need to do so that you will like me. Christianity says this, if you're driven by fears, if you're driven by fears and you try to fix them, you'll never find that deep peace, love, security, strength, hope that I can provide. And it literally speaks into every fear we may face. Every struggle, it says, hey, would you trust me? Because in Christ alone, there is some incredible hope and peace and joy and life and security and strength. That's what I wanted to say today. And I did it through that vehicle to connect with you on the level of your type potentially, connect with you on the level of these fears, but the hope is, and as we leave today, here's what I want you to think about. Where am I driven by fear? Where am I motivated by trying to do and fix the things? And where can I try and find that peace, that hope, that strength, that security in Him? to give us just a moment to kind of assimilate all this information that I just shared. We're gonna end with a song called In Christ Alone. And as we do that, I hope, I pray that we can recognize where we're holding on, proving, trying to justify and go, wait, 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 wait. There's a better way to live. If I can live in Him and what He's done, there is hope, there is strength, there is peace, there is security. Let me pray for us as the band comes out. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us, not dependent on our ability to be loved. You love us and you bring peace, not dependent on our ability to create peace. You give us security, not dependent on our ability to think about all the worst case scenarios because we can't. You give us what we need, not dependent on our ability to know everything. It's by grace it's by you, it's by what you've done that we find strength, peace, security, love. It's in Christ alone that our hope is found. So Father, I pray that you'll allow us, as we sort of assimilate all this information, that you'll allow us to see in our own hearts, where are we standing on our striving, our ability to make ourselves worthy or better or unique or special or lovable? Where are we trying to do that? 
And let us surrender it and find that we can stand, not on our ability, but on yours. Because in Christ alone, our hope is found. In Jesus' name. This cornerstone